Pastor, thanks for affording Rosa and me the privilege to be able to come this weekend. We really appreciate it. You're very kind. I want the rest of the people to know that this is the only church I've spoken at where not only did they request outlines, but uh, I got very specific instructions. It has to be verse by verse. So I've chosen just one verse today that I played on the safe side. Um, and I really admired the way you came up those steps with such energy. I was going to try it, but I thought I might fall. And um, I have to tell you, Edie Olson greeted us yesterday and was so kind, got us situated in the, the missionary house and it was appointed with flowers and food. It was really so special. And then today to come and see so many of you. I have to tell you, it's really humbling, and I mean that. I think of the way our daughters were touched, and I, I bring you greetings from Lori, Natalie, and Jana, because Calvary was very special to them. It was our first assignment after leaving active duty with the military. And I also bring you greetings from Janet Tyson, who is doing so very well, and wanted to be remembered to you all. Um, so I saw a lot of faces that uh, I recognize. Some of you put me to the test as to whether or not I remembered names. Um, it wasn't half bad, not as good as it used to be. And then I tried to speak to Al Abrahamson, and I don't think he understood that he couldn't hear, that I didn't hear him when he was telling me that he couldn't hear me. So um, I have uh, devices in both ears, and I keep a, uh, a remote trigger in my pocket so that I can make sure I can stay on top of what people are saying. It really has been humbling, and I mean that. I've never felt so unworthy as, I, as we were singing and thought about coming up to the pulpit. And uh, I thank you for the privilege. And though I say it was very warm this morning, it was until I greeted Tori Froisland. And um, I greeted him. I said, Tori, it's so good to see you. And he said, I didn't come to see you. I came to see Pastor Sean. So, um, you know, even that was kind of humbling. Let me ask you to just bow with me for a word of prayer. Spirit of God, we have come to worship. We have spoken to you, but not enough. And we pray now that you would speak to us individually and severally, just as you will. Pray that we would keep our minds and our hearts open to what your word has for us. And I pray that today would be different and that we would be different because of the time we spent together with you. God, hear our cry and speak to us. Spirit of God, make us open. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be lifted up that we might be drawn to you. In your precious name, amen. You know, I remember so many times beginning and saying, I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles, or will you please open your Bibles with me? So I'd like to ask you all to close your Bibles right now. Please do that. Will you close your Bibles? I want to, you don't even have one, Pastor. What are you doing? Oh, yeah. It's big and heavy, gold edges, but it's not open. You all have it closed, right? Okay, now I, want, I don't want you to look at the outline. You know, why am I getting dry mouth? I used to be here. I can't believe it. And there's no water up there either. Just so, I don't want to drink after you. No, that's right, say it. Um, I, I not only want to, you know, share that verse with you because it is so filled with meaning. And if we have time, you'll be surprised how many verses will fall out from that simple verse. But more than that, I want you to memorize it. And most people get really nervous about memorizing scripture. It's amazing all the things that a woman can memorize in terms of recipe and how men know the muzzle velocity of a, of a rifle or they'll tell you all the latest statistics and what's going on in the realm of sports. But when it comes to scripture, everybody says, I just can't memorize it. So this is an easy, 
I see you looking at your notes now. Please don't look at them. I want you to look up here. I want you to memorize this verse with me, okay? So listen. I want you to, when I stop, I want you to pre repeat, all right? The Lord, the Lord our, God, our God, is in your midst. In your midst. I made a mistake. We're going to go back. The Lord, the Lord your, God, your God, is in your midst. In your midst. A, victorious a victorious warrior. Okay, now let's see if we can put that together. The Lord, your God, is in your midst, a victorious warrior. Very bad, try it again. The Lord, your God, is in your midst, a victorious warrior. Ready? He will exalt over you with joy. He will quiet you with his love. And he will rejoice over you with singing. Let's pick it up at the halfway mark. All right. He will exalt over you with joy. He will quiet you with his love. And he will rejoice over you with singing. Okay, I think we ought to be able to do it. You ready? Let's try it. The Lord, your God, is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Okay, now I want to hear you do it. Ready? The Lord. Wait a minute. You people up there, I heard him pray for the balcony. I don't hear any noise coming out of the balcony. That used to be the noisiest place when I was pastor here because that's where Cindy Upsall and all the young people's, Cindy Olson, that's where Cindy and all the young people sat. I want to hear you do this as well. Start over. The Lord. He will exalt over you with joy, quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Did you notice that there are seven parts Count them. The Lord, your God, is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Seven parts. Did you get it? Did you get it? Because uh, you got it. Okay, just making sure. And every perfect sermon has only three parts, three points, right? This one's going to have seven. Now, you can open your Bibles now. Turn to Zephaniah 3.17. That's the little song that you just recited. And as often as I can, I'm going to repeat it. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. So you have that, and you have an outline there. And, you know, rather than turn to each of these passages, we may turn to some of them, I would just rather have you write them down. And this has been my prayer that each of you as, leave, as you leave today will know Zephaniah 3.17, but more importantly, that at least of the verses that we touch on, God gave me that verse in a special way today. So when you speak about the Lord, you have to remember that we're speaking about a person, a very real, warm, loving, and tender person. And we go to Scripture and we find out a few things about this person. In John chapter 1, it says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and apart from Him, nothing has come into being that has come into being. 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That light shone in darkness, and the darkness could not overpower it. And then, that was verses 1 to 4, and down in verse 14, something so powerful, because it says, and that word became flesh. That word became a person. And listen, in early Christian worship, those first 18 verses of the Gospel of John, called the prologue of John, were recited in every one of their gatherings. And when they came to verse 14, overwhelmed with what Pastor began his prayer with, you know, um, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, took upon himself the form of a bondservant. Well, John 1, 4, 14 says, that word became flesh, that word became a person. And that person dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then it says in verse 18, no man at any time has seen God, but the only begotten God in the bosom of the Father, he has translated. Actually, the Greek word there is related to our word exegesis. He has explained him to us. Jesus is the explanation of the Father, the Father's love, the Father's plans and purposes for each one of us. So this is the person, the Lord. When we speak about the Lord, we're talking about a very real person. And we have to go to see some of the beautiful and tender things that he said. Just in the Gospel of John alone, in John chapter 6, verse 48, it says, I am the bread of life. And with that, he eliminates my hunger. In John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He illuminates my darkness. In John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door of the sheep. You know, he initiates my walk. In John 10, 10, I am the good shepherd. He eradicates all of my fears. In John 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection life. He who believes in me shall never die. And he who lives and believes in me, even if he, uh, even if he dies, shall live forever. You know, those are precious promises. And right there, he dictates my destiny, that I will live forever. In John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way. He delineates my path. I am the truth. He renovates my mind. I am the life. He liberates my soul. And in John chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I am the vine. He cultivates my growth. And if there's going to be any growth in your life and mine, it's only going to be as we yield ourselves to the Spirit of God and let him speak to us. He's the one who has to speak. I pray this morning before I came that I would listen to him before I try to speak to you. John 15, 1, he cultivates my growth. And there's more than that, because in John 1, 18, when it says he explained him, he translates God for me. God is the, Jesus is the perfect translation. This person whose birth we just celebrate and into whose passion we'll enter next week, this person explains God to each one of us. He translates him for us. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He mandates my submission. He's the beginning. I began with him, and my life on earth will end with him and then begin for all eternity. That mandates my submission. And in John 22, or rather in Revelation 22, verse 20, he says, I am coming. And that accelerates or elevates my anticipation that Jesus is coming. Some of you will remember Jack Wilson. You know, I don't think I've ever been privileged to work with as fine an associate as Jack. He knew scripture like nobody else I knew. And he and I were walking one night in the Essex Fells area. And he said, you know, I go to sleep, I go to bed every night disappointed 
that Jesus has not come. I've never heard anybody say anything like that. You know, he really was disappointed. So I look at this person and I see how beautiful he is. I left out the best one. John chapter 8, verse 58, where he says, I see you nodding back there, you got it. He says just this, I am. I am whatever you need and whenever you need me. I am. And with that, I see that he obliterates all of my needs and he satiates all my longings. Anything I could need, anything that I could ever desire is found in Christ Jesus. That's this person, the Lord, a person real, loving, tender, and warm. And he accepts us just the way we are. And if you're here this morning and you have that sense of somehow alienation or distance from him that I sometimes experience, I'm reminded over and over in the readings of Spurgeon that God continues to love us. This is a love song that he gives us in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. And it begins by reminding us that we're talking about a person, the Lord your God. And as soon as we say God, I, you know, to me we're speaking about a power that is so immense, so immeasurable, and so fully incomprehensible and inconceivable. You know, the power of God. So that in Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, God has appeared to Abraham and said, you're going to have a son. And he said, you've got to be kidding me. You know, I'm an old man. And Sarah's behind the door and she's laughing, thinking, how am I going to have a baby? And in John 18, verse 14, God says this, nothing is impossible with God. I will return at the appointed time, this time next year, and Sarah, you will be nursing your baby. He's the God of the impossible. There's absolutely nothing that he can't do. In Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17, the prophet says this, Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and thine outstretched arm. Nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing at all is too difficult for thee. Think about the challenges in your life. You had a challenge this week? Well, we had a major one in our family this week, just before Rose and I were getting ready to come here. You know, and God just shows us how he takes those challenges and he takes care of them. There's nothing, absolutely nothing at all that's too difficult for thee. And so 10 verses later, in Jeremiah 32, verse 27, God speaks and he says, Behold, I am the Lord God of all flesh. Is there anything, anything at all, anything you can think of that is too difficult for me? Well, that's powerful. There's nothing in your life that God can't take care of. Some of you remember Tom D. Domenico, who used to be here years ago. And I went out with him in his wheeler one day. I thought that was going to be a great trick. You know, and just before we get ready to start out in that rig, he bent over the wheel and he said, God, just remind me, nothing's going to come into my life that you and I can't handle together. Boy, simple prayer of a trucker. But he really believed that God can take care of everything. In Luke chapter 1, verse 37, the angel appears to a young girl, perhaps your age, Addie, or a little younger. And he says, you're going to become the mother of the Most High. And she asks one very simple question, but so intelligent. She says, well, how can that be? I'm a virgin. I've never known man. And the angel said, nothing will be impossible with God. You get in this thread? 
from Genesis 18:14 to Jeremiah 32:17 and Jeremiah 32:27 now Luke 1 verse 37 and go over to Luke chapter 18 verse 27 and the rich young ruler goes to the, goes to Jesus and good teacher you know what, what can I do to inherit eternal life he said why do you call me good there's no one good but just one why do you call me good and he said here's what you have to do and he listed the commandments and the young ruler said I've done all of that from my childhood on up he said, yeah, well, there's one thing you're lacking. You need to sell everything you have. He got right to the heart of it. That man was so wedded to the stuffs of this world. He said, sell it all and then come follow me. And the man went away disappointed. And Jesus made a comment that it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle than it is for a rich man or a poor man to enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, I'm sure pastors told you, the eye of the needle was not the sewing needle that my mother used, not that at all, but the eye of the needle was the gate to the city. The camel could get through there, but only with great difficulty. But the disciples say, well, then what can we do? And Jesus said this, the things impossible with you men are possible to God. That's the power of our God. You have to see that. And over in Mark chapter 9, verse 23, the father has gone to the disciples and he's got this little boy that has some sort of seizures and sometimes he's near water, could throw him into the water or in a fire into a pit. And the father's concerned about it, brings him to the disciples. The disciples are able to do nothing. And so finally the father sees Jesus and confronts him and says, your men haven't been able to do something. They haven't been able to do anything if you can. And Jesus looked at him and said, if I can. Check the text out. Mark 9, 20, if I can. As if to say, I specialize in these things. These are my specialties. Your limitations is where you call on me, and I step in and take over. Of course I can. And he said, nothing is impossible to those who believe. The Lord, a person, your God speaks of a power. A power so great that in Psalm 103, verse 19, it says, God has established his throne in the heavens. His sovereignty rules over all things. Not only is he all-powerful, but he's the sovereign one. And in Psalm 115, verse 3, it says, God sits in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And then he spells that out in Psalm 135, verse 6. It says, whatever God pleases, he does. In the heavens, on earth, in the seas, and in all the deeps. But where it comes right to home, in Psalm 138, verse 8, he says, Thou will accomplish all that concerns me. The promises of your love, O Lord, are forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. So we have this God who is so personal and so powerful. And this morning I was reading in our devotions in Psalm 77, verse 13. I asked Rose and Addie to make sure they memorized it, and I think I just forgot it. Do you remember what it was? Um, oh yeah. Oh God, who among the gods is like our God? Who is like our God? There's none like this God I've just described to you. On top of it all, he loves us, and this song is proof of his love. So he is a person, and he is powerful. It speaks of his power. A few years ago, our daughter Jenna was carrying her third baby. And all of the tests came back terrible. You know, Ken, they said that all of the tests had all the markers for a Down syndrome and a severely 
challenged child. And Janet was very active in the pro-life movement. The doctor looked at her and said, you know, I know it's past time, but we can help you if you want. And she looked at him and said, help me? I've just been watching my baby on a screen for a half hour and you can help me? No, you can't help me. And you know, prayer went up for that baby. And we have a sister who's an obstetrician gynecologist. She said those markers were all bad. We have a friend who is the chief of obstetrics at uh, Tucson Medical Center in Tucson, Arizona. He said, it doesn't sound good, but we all have to pray. And we prayed. And months later, that little girl entered the world. And she was perfect. She was absolutely perfect. And they named her Madeline, after Mary Magdalene, you know, the woman who was transformed. Her name is Madeline Grace, transformed by grace. Our God is so powerful. And so many times, we just want to do everything ourselves, when all we need to is to really turn to him. So it says the Lord, a person, your God, speaks of his power, is in your midst, and that speaks of his presence, that he is ever with us. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, God speaks to Joshua and says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble nor be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God is with you. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Such a beautiful verse. God says, do not fear. Do you know fear? I meet so many Christians who say they're not afraid of anything. Well, I'm afraid of the dark. I really am. I don't like going into a door, even the missionary house. I don't want to make sure there was a light on there at night. <laughs> so the electric bill might be up a little more. But I'm afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of the disobedience that I've exhibited in the past. I'm afraid of death. I know Christians look up, they, they get so nervous when I say that. You know, first time I jumped out of an airplane, I was afraid because I never jumped out of a plane before. I've never died before. So it holds a certain element of fear for me. You know? So I have these fears, and God says in Isaiah 41, verse 10, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not look anxiously about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And we know that the Lord Jesus said to his men as he left them, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. In his presence. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, he who comes to God must believe that he is. I want to say, gee, that doesn't make much sense. Obviously, you go to God, you know that he is. But what it really says is, he who comes to God must believe that he's in that very situation right then. So when you and I go to God and we've got something on our heart, something that's troubling and maybe breaking our spirit, someone, something that has thrown us into fright or anxiety, he says, I'm in this. Do you understand? I am in this. He who comes to God must believe that he is in that situation, and he's a rewarder of those who seek him. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, he says, I will never leave you, never forsake you. So the Lord is a person. God speaks of his power. In your midst, speaks of his presence. A victorious warrior. You know, think of the day in which we live. You know, Yesterday morning, we were in our hotel in New York City, and um, we were um, sitting to watch bre have breakfast, and 
the television screen was on in front of us. It was a large dining hall. And the family right behind us were Mideastern, and you could hear them speaking in Arabic. And behind them, there was an African woman in African garb with a beautiful little African daughter. And off to the right, there was a family. I recognized them speaking Russian. And then there were a lot of Sean's cousins. They were all dressed in green, getting ready to go to the parade. You know. But the news, the news on the screen was just terrible. Aren't you sick of what's happening? Forget your political biases and whatever side of the aisle you think you're on. It's all nonsense. It's just filled with corruption. And it's a heartbreak when I think of our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. Just a little different now for Addie. You know, she's one of the older grandchildren. She's moved on. But we have eight great-grandchildren. I look at the world that they're growing up into. You know? And then I think of the children's song. So much wisdom in it. He's got the whole world in his hands. And he's a victorious warrior. And the war was won. A couple of battles. But he's coming, coming again to claim it all. You know, as I think of him as the victorious warrior, I think of Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 14. And what is said of the camp of Israel is true of our own lives. Because it says in Deuteronomy 23, 14, um, since the Lord is in your midst to deliver you and to defeat your enemies from before you, Therefore, your camp must be holy, and he must, not, he must not see anything indecent among you, lest he turn away from you. He's in your midst to deliver you and to defeat your enemies before you. In Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 11, it says, The Lord is with me like a dread champion. Therefore, my persecutors will utterly fail. They will stumble and fall, and they will utterly fail with an everlasting disgrace that will not be forgotten. The Lord is with me like a dread champion. In John, chapter, uh, in John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. He will be safe. He's my protector. This victorious warrior is my protector. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, I love that verse. And I know there's a song in it someplace. But greater is he that is in you than he that is within the world. You have to remember that. You look, you get so discouraged with the news. And sometimes you feel like you're a minority. I do. Sometimes I think I was born in the wrong time in the wrong place. But the one that is within me is greater than the one in the world. And Paul says in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, listen. He says, what more can I say? Listen to this. What more can I say? If God is for us, who can be against us? What difference does it make? You've got to see it. You with me? The Lord. That's what? Come on. Look at your notes. Cheat. Go ahead. What's after that on your notes? The Lord. What's the? A person. All right. Your God. In your midst. Half of them are asleep. No, really. I, aren't you embarrassed? It's the most one verses I've heard in a one verse sermon. So. <laughs> Let's try it again. Lord? No, 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 no. You give me the word that follows Lord on your paper. The Lord? Person. Your God? Is in your midst. A victorious warrior. 
protection. That's so special. And then it says, he will exalt over you with joy. That speaks of his plans and his purposes. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, he, he says, um, I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for well-being, not calamity. That you might have a future and a confident end. Such a special verse. When you think of it. I know the plans I have for you. Plans for well-being, not calamity. That you might have a future and a confident end. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, one of the verses that's most often mistranslated, people translated, all things work together. Listen, that's fatalism. All things do not work together for anything. The verse really says, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and walk according to him. God cause, causes all of those things in your life and mine. His plans are perfect and he exalts over the, us with joy with those plans. He thinks of what he had for, has for each one of us. And those plans come from a joy-filled heart, his joy-filled heart for each one of us. I know the plans I have for you. I cause all things to work together for good to those who love me. Just think of what was said of Abraham in Romans chapter 4, verse 20 through 22. It says, Abraham believed God, did not waver in, in unbelief with respect to the promise of God, but being fully assured that God was able to perform all that he had promised. And for that reason, it was imputed to Abraham for righteousness. He believed that God could perform everything that he promised. You know, when you take John 8, verse 58, and God says, I am, do you realize that's a promise? That's perhaps the greatest promise in all of Scripture, apart from John 3, 16. God says, I am whatever you need. And whenever you need it, I am. Just fill it in. Whatever you need, I am. You fill in the line. It's a blank check for any situation in life. I remember hearing Chuck Swindoll saying once that in the word of God there are 7,474 promises. I don't know if that's true. And someone may say, well, that's a promise for Israel. I don't believe it. I believe all the promises there are promises for me as a believer. And I can claim them. And listen, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul wrote this, as many as may be the promises of God. In other words, if there's 7,474 or 7,476, however many there are, listen, they are all yes in Christ. So you have the Lord our God is in our midst a victorious warrior. He exalts over us with joy. He's a person that speaks of his power, his presence, his protection, and the plans and promises that he's made for us. Listen, this isn't in a vacuum. There's something here for each and every one of us today. I don't know what it is, but one of those verses has your name written all over it. And you have to listen to whatever God is saying to you. Just as I listened, as I thought God was speaking to me through music that I had never heard before, and saying, God, what are you saying to me now? before I get up to preach. Well, what is God saying to you right now? He will exalt over you with joy in this next way. He will quiet you with his love. When suddenly everything goes black, suddenly all of your dreams are tossed and blown, suddenly God has taken your life made from you. God afflicts you in the lives of one of your children. Someone you love walks away from the Lord and you feel that 
the churning deep within, and you can't do anything about it, but you just hurt so badly. Well, God knows all about that. In Isaiah chapter 49, verses 15 and 16, he says, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? And we want to say, no, a woman can't. And he says, listen, even these may forget. And you sang this this morning. But I will never forget because you are engraved in the palms of my hands. He can never forget us. I remember a, a priest years ago when I was a young postulant in the monastery saying, asking a group of us, what are the only man-made things in heaven? And I couldn't get it. Couldn't get my hands around it. And finally, he said, the only man-made things in heaven are the wounds in the hands, feet, and side of the Lord Jesus. He can never forget us. Our names are engraved in the palms of his hands. What a promise. You know, you think about being quiet in his love. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, a beautiful picture that I know so well from our farm in Illinois. I've seen my grandchildren, I've seen Rose, I've seen my daughters just take these newborn lambs and hold them. In Isaiah 40, verse 11, it says, um, like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. He will gather the young lambs, carry them in his bosom, and gently lead forth the nursing ewes. You just have to be able to hold one of those lambs. And God is saying, that's the way Jesus is with us. He holds us close and tight, the way you hold a beautiful newborn lamb. He says he quiets us with his love. So the disciples are out in the boat. Jesus is going, we're told in John 6, that Jesus is going up to the mountain to pray, and they left without him. They went out in the boat, and there's a terrible storm. And they're frightened as surely they must be because of the storm. But suddenly they see a figure walk on the water and their, their fears are heightened and increased. And he said, don't be afraid. It is I. Remember Hebrews 11 verse 6? He who comes to God must believe that he is. In each and every situation that comes our life, he is in them. In John chapter 14, I shared this verse at Art's funeral just a few months ago here. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come and bring you to myself, that where I am, you also might be. And then in verse 27, he concludes that little narrative, and he says this, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Listen, on the world scene, no matter what you hear, there ain't going to be peace here. Ain't going to be peace. I pray every morning for God's protection upon the people of Israel, and I pray for his peace in Jerusalem, and I know that peace will not come to Jerusalem until the Lord Jesus comes again. You're going to have peace. So he says, my peace, deep inside, not the kind the world wants to give, but I'll give you a peace that the world can't take away. And he says this, so let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So last Wednesday, as we were preparing to leave so that we could meet Addie in New York and spend time with our granddaughter, and we got a call from my daughter Natalie, and it was about JT, Josiah Tate. He's an aspiring young West Point cadet. He's a He's really a, a beautiful kid. 
and he's done everything since West Point became his dream. Wanted to be like his paternal grandfather, wanted to be a career military officer, like his uncle Alan, wanted to go to West Point. And so everything from that day on moved toward West Point. High honor roll at school. A kid with a pex bottom. You know, real trouble breathing, Ken. You can imagine that. You know, severe. So he decided he had to overcome that if he wanted to be an airborne ranger. So he became a long distance runner. And last year went to states. Involved in community service, serving at the, the rescue mission. So that all those things can be done to single him out so he can get into the academy. And last Wednesday, his mother took him to the doctor because his eyes were sunken. He had been waking several nights in deep pain. And um, went to the doctor. And the doctor said, you've got to get him over to the hospital right away. They took him to the hospital. They admitted him and put him in intensive care unit. Tori, you know about this, and so does Jim. Because his, number was, his glucose number was 500. And, um, you know, though he's never said anything about it since then, um, and after a couple of days in intensive care, he knows that West Point is no longer a dream for him. No one in the family has mentioned it, because right now we just want him to get stable and want him to realize this is a life changer, but it's not a life ender. You know, his life is going to be changed, and West Point is out. And his doctor said, you know, JT, I just want you to know something. His doctor is a Christian doctor um, who went to a church I pastored in Rockford. And the doctor said to him, I've been type 1 for 37 years. So the next day, while still in intensive care, his endocrinologist came, who will now be his primary care physician. And his endocrinologist said, well, JT, what's ahead for you in the future? And JT didn't answer. And so no one wanted to mention the academy. And so his father said, well, education. And the doctor said, education is good. There can be real freedom in education. He said, you know, JT, people think there's a lot of freedom in money. There's no freedom in money. You just become a slave to money. He said, most people have it are enslaved by it and slaves to it. He said, let me tell you about freedom, JT. He said, real freedom, and my daughter said he paused. He said, JT, real freedom, this isn't a hospital. It's found only in Jesus Christ. And he looked at him and said, JT, I need to know. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Isn't that something? A doctor would do that. Do you know the concerns that my daughter had about her boy? The concerns that all of him. And God just sends this Christian doctor who's going to be his physician now to take care of him. And JT said, I do know Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. And the doctor said, this is going to be a long-term relationship. It's good to know that we're brothers. You know, I, I can't tell you what that did to my sister in terms of peace. You, know, you think God's not in that? Sort of smell God all over from the time they went in intensive care unit and the nurse that was there attended the church that JT's father had pastored. You know, God is there to give us peace along the way. Sometimes you have to look for it. You get that, right? I hope so. I hate to use that story, but it's one that's been the most meaningful because this week has been a tough one for us. And yet, no complaints. 19 grandchildren. You heard about Maddie, and she's healthy. And now this little boy, this young man, he's going to be fine, and he's going to pull through. I look forward to when we have to discuss 
the fact that God has altered his plans. But by then I know that peace will have really invaded his heart and he'll have it. So when he says um, he will quiet you in his love, that speaks of his peace. You know, I see people getting up to leave, you know, and someone said, I remember once going to church and asking about how long. He said, well, we end at such and such a time, but when the people get up to leave, you know, it's over. So I don't, is it over now? I think they're preparing your food, John. Oh, is that it? Okay. I don't know. Well, I asked Edie Abrahams, and I said, I said, does the service normally start at 10.15? She said, yes. I said, what time does it end? She said, whenever Sean finishes. So. <clears throat> Okay, well, I want, I want to give you the last one. Look at the last one. He will rejoice over you with singing. In Psalm 16, verse 3, God says this. As for the saints, as for the family of Calvary Church in Essex Falls, as for the saints who are on the earth, these are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. In Psalm 37, verse 23, it says this, God has established the path of the righteous man. He delights in his steps. Do you get what he says? As for the saints who are on the earth, these are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. God orders the steps of the righteous man. He delights in his steps. In uh, Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 41, it says, I rejoice over them. I rejoice over my people to do them good. God wants to do good. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul says, for it is God who is at work within you to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the last P is pleasure. You see that he's a person with all this power who chooses to be present with us as our protector and provider so that his plans and purposes might be fulfilled in our lives, that we might walk in his peace and bring great pleasure to him. Do you know that that verse, I know it's translated, some of them say shouts of joy. I want you to know that it says, he will rejoice over them with singing. And please hear this. The only time in all of scripture that it says God sings is right here. And he is singing over us. I love when I'm alone at times to sing with Rose, to sing to Rose or to sing about Rose. I remember holding my girls when they were young and singing to them. I know that when I'm alone sometimes and just very happy driving wherever I might be that I sing, you know, and it says, God sings over us. I have a hard time about that until I realized that he loves us just the way we are. He doesn't want us to stay that way, but he loves us just the way we are. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Let me hear you recite that verse. The Lord, is in your, wait a minute. I saw you looking down at your nose. You can't look down. You, no, you, know, you, you can't look down. You got to look up. Come on. The Lord, your God, is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And so Friday when we were having devotions with um, with Addie in our room, our, our devotions follow a very set pattern. So there are materials that I have to uh, sort of copy before we leave, including Spurgeon morning and evening, because I don't like to carry extra books with me. So I just copy all of those. And then there's a songbook that we use. You know, it was told, remember T.M. Anderson, Tori? 
Wasn't that a, they said that when they had devotion, when I came here, they had devotions. He had a Bible on one knee and the songbook on the other knee. And we end every morning with a song from the songbook. And this was the song from Friday. Listen. Loved with everlasting love. You sang that for us once, Judy. I remember that. Loved with everlasting love, led by grace that love to know. Spirit breathing from above, thou hast taught me, it is so. Oh, this full and perfect peace. Oh, this transport all divine. In a love which cannot cease, I am his and he is mine. Heaven above a softer blue, earth around a sweeter green. Something lives in every hue, Christless eyes have never seen. Birds with gladder sings or flow, flowers with deeper beauty shine. Since I know, as now I know, I am his and he is mine. Things that once were wild alarms cannot now disturb my rest. Closed in everlasting arms, pillowed on his loving breast. Oh, to lie forever here, doubt and care and self-resign, while he whispers in my ear, I am his and he is mine. His forever, only his, who the Lord and me shall part. Ah, with what a rest of bliss Christ can fill the loving heart. Heaven and earth may fade and flee, firstborn light and gloom decline, but while God and I shall be, I am his and he is mine. Let me just ask you one thing to think on. Are you his? He doesn't take. You need to understand that. He doesn't take. He gave so that you might give. Are you his? Have you come to that place where you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you've given your life to Christ? That you've truly repented of your sin, turned away from it, and turned to face him and him alone? You sang it. There's absolutely no other name. You've got no other plea. I have no other plea than that Jesus died for me. Let's pray together. Father, it is a a truly awesome thought that you gave your son for the likes of us. And Lord Jesus, we can't fully comprehend what it meant that you didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but you emptied yourself. We thank you that you took upon yourself the form of a bondservant and being made in likeness as a man, found in appearance as a man, You humbled yourself for us, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So Spirit of God, I pray that you would just take us to the cross for a moment and set the cross very real before us with a savior there, bleeding and dying, saying, Father, forgive. Help us in this moment, God. For some, it could be a moment of true decision For others, it might be a recommitment that's long overdue and needed. But help us come to that place where we can say, I am his and he is mine. I am yours, God, and you are mine. Help us to live with thanksgiving for the fact that you, the Lord God, live in our midst as a valiant warrior. 
that you exalt over us with joy, that you quiet us with your peace, and that even now you rejoice over us with singing. God, help us to love you more.